Hello everyone, and welcome to another horror review. Uh, tonight I am telling the tale of Martin, uh, directed by George R. Romero. Uh, it's a 1977 movie. It tells the story of a young man who believes himself to be a vampire, goes to live with his elderly and hostile cousin in a small Pennsylvania town, where he tries to redeem his blood craving urges. I'm sorry, I just took a sip of tea before I started, so my lips, my tongue's kind of went blah, 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 blah. Do apologize for that. Uh, also, it's been a while since I've done one of these moan. It's uh, starting to feel strange. I've done so many streams now with uh, co-hosts and guests and uh, folks joining in and other streams, so it's a bit strange when you're by yourself. <laughs> okay, Chris, how are you, man? Um, yeah, it's a classic, right? I think I'll put it on my radar. Uh, there's a company I follow, Second Sight Films, and they do. You've seen a couple of unboxings if you keep up to date with the channel, and they they produced a special edition of this movie. And I couldn't feel like for me uh, work out what it was about. You know, you see the the pictures got the razor blade, Martin. It's a little bit different, so uh, I wasn't sure what to expect. And then it popped up on streaming, so I thought, you know what, I'll check it out. I get about 10, 15 minutes in it, and I realise I've watched it before. So I have actually seen this movie with a, uh, you know, in its heyday, and I'm kind of like, how did I miss this one? This is, uh, this is back in the days, you know, you have your standalone movies, and that you're not part of a franchise, a chain, and they're just these little quirky movies that pop up now and again, and you watch them, and they sort of they make you scratch your head a bit about the whole premise. And then you go away and go, oh, that was a nice one. Uh, so this is, it's a product of its time. Now, what I will say, it's, it's aged. So visually, it's definitely aged. You know, it's a movie of the 70s. You can tell that straight away. However, the story is still solid. It's actually got a good, solid story. And you do feel a bit of sympathy for the antagonist, for Martin in this. Um, so we'll start off, he's traveling, uh, he's on an, an A-train, so he's going from Indianapolis to Pittsburgh. Like I said, this, the whole premise is where he's going to live with his cousin. He looks, he's a gawky kid, you know, he looks so unassuming and... Awkward, not you know, what I mean, he's one of those types you just pass by, you don't even put under your notice. But next thing we we'll see him, he's breaking into one of the sleeper cabins and he's got a, he's got a whole uh, kit bag and he's got syringes. And you're like, what the hell's going on here? So he's he spotted this lady and he goes in and he basically <laughs> she's coming out of the bathroom. He's he starts struggling with her and he sticks her with a needle. It's, I tell you what, don't do scenes like this. is a really intense scene. They don't do scenes like this in horror movies today. It's all watered down. I guess it's proper. Uh, oh, you need to be asleep so it won't hurt and stuff. And you're like, whoa. So effectively, he he drugs her and she's still fighting right up the last minute. And uh, one, of the, one of the lines is she says, just take what you want, you know, and go. Like she's given up. What did you put in me? You know, because the drugs start to take hold. And then he basically strips her off, strips himself off. And then there's this whole scene where he's effectively having his way with her. And then he 
the razor blades come in because he's like uh, sliced open her wrists and drinking her blood. And you're like, wow. So that's, that's your opening to the movie. And this is on his way to meet his cousin. So when I say cousin, I mean elderly, like grandfather type figure. So we'll see the train arrive up and then he's trying to sneak out, go past the actual room where all the shenanigans happened. And then this group of girls are starting knocking on that door and he's like, oh, it's about to kick off. And <laughs> it's the, the find the girl they're looking for and go off. So he gets off the train, <laughs> leaving the fact to be a dead body, you know. And, and by the looks of things, this is definitely not his first time. You know, he's quite proficient at this. Oh, there's Oliver on as well. Uh, evening. Um, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. That's the thing. Uh, it kind of kind of gets uh, really muddy. The waters get really muddy because when we meet the cousin, we see this old guy and he's in a pure white suit. And Martin gets off the train. Like, no alarms have been sent, so he's obviously he's, he's gotten away with it. And he's all like, ah, you're here, right, follow me, we must go to another, he's very formal and gruff with him. And then board another train, and then they go to this guy's house. Now, you would expect the way this guy's dressed, that they're going to, you know, like a plantation, like a like a, an old American plantation, I think that's the way he's dressed, like a plantation owner. But don't go to this city, you know, in a house. And one thing they've done with this is, Everything's run down. Like everything, it looks like a seventies. You know, a lot of movies, everything's all glossed up, and they're all these like everyone lives in a mini mansion sort of thing in Hollywood, and that's what the you know the Putin screen. Let's see if my tongue will work this time. <laughs> right, so already you've got this guy. He's dressed to the nines, but he lives in this hovel. You know, and it doesn't look uh, appealing. And then we find out what the the whole purpose of the thing is. He's like, Nosferatu, you you will stay in here. You will not take anyone from this town. And I will save your soul, then I will end you. <laughs> so it turns out the whole fa- family has told this guy that he's a vampire. Like, it's almost like it's, it comes from the old country. It's almost like they're of Transylvanian descent. But yeah, he has been told he's like the 80th vampire or something, the 8th vampire to appear in this lineage. So he's a spawn of the devil and they're going to kill him. <laughs> and he's been brought up since no height because a letter came from the old country saying this one's a vampire. So straight away, you know this guy's head's been his boiler's been absolutely busted. Like no if buts or maybe's like this guy is tapped. And it's the whole nature versus nurture thing. Because one thing I'll say, the the don't have any there's no supernatural hintings in this whatsoever. This is not a is he a vampire, isn't he? He's not a vampire. He is a serial killer. But this is definitely the whole question of this movie is nature versus nurture. If he hadn't been born into a batshit crazy family, would he have been okay? Now, would he have had social quirks? Would he have, you know, that kind of stuff? Would he have 
still had that that you know that's part of the nature thing but if he was like in a family that just weren't bonkers mental would have been okay and this is what we see play out so he's put in the he's given a bedroom and then the guy's putting garlic up has garlic up on his own door and says you will not come into my bedroom you will not speak to me or something unless spoken to um you will not leave this room you will you know once again you will not take anybody from this town uh so it's it's all led up that like that he's getting the metal house <laughs> just crazy and then it's um his granddaughter comes around he's like you will not interfere with my granddaughter so instantly it's like they're they're related so they're like this is a family thing but he's already telling them, don't you're not shagging my granddaughter you know and it's his cousin and you're kind of like oh, okay um get the banjos out so all that stuff's going on and it's all done i tell you what the the storytelling is actually quite efficient in this, so you get this all within the first uh 10 minutes of the movie you get the whole scene laid out so that's good you're not sitting scratching your head what you're doing is playing out how is he what you're saying is how is he coping we know that he kills and we know that he's proficient at it so now we're trying to find out what's how is this story going to play out and that's cool you know there's sometimes you just need that you just need to go <clears throat> okay i know everything i need to know about the background and how this is set up so now we're just watching how this plays out and you're basically living the life with martin so What's even funnier is, right, while you're here, you're going to work in my store. So he has the fella doing chores around the house, working in his store, doing deliveries. Uh, so he works in, like, a deli, and uh, he goes and do, does hand deliveries to houses. Oh, Lithuanian. So they're Lithuanian Catholics. And what's funny is that he'll come in and go, Nosferatu you know just randomly at him <laughs> so the guy's just uh off his rocker we see that like i said he's, he's operating he starts ringing this radio show that's sort of late night phone in and he calls himself the count and he effectively tells this radio show about his blood cravings and uh you know things that he's done and all and you know his sexual hang-ups and that that he can only do it when he's killing them and stuff and you know this is all going live in radio and you you get the idea that he needs someone to talk to about this and this is his therapy it's like the internet with um today people you know just put stuff out just to get attention and that but this is this guy's got serious issues and the guy's treated like entertainment which i suppose makes sense like radio phone-ins, you know, they've, they've been since the dawn of time and they haven't really changed today. The podcast not still do them. But yeah, uh, he's actually got the radio on the background, so you're getting that wee bit of back because he needs to hear his own voice backwards. You know, it's, it's shown the, the whole, his whole psychosis playing out. And it's going on. Um, he meets Abby. Uh, she's a housewife and he's somebody he deliver, you know, he, he delivers to. And we have a couple of scenes with her. First, she's like, he's sort of perving on her. 
like you're talking about from the front door or not, but she's like just going about in her shorts and then she puts a skirt on, doing stuff, and then you kind of know something's going to happen there. But he's going around still looking for victims. So he's, um, he's trying to hold his urges in because of where he is. I don't think he understands that he's in danger either. Like the fact that he willingly goes along and he didn't run away or he didn't do anything, he just meekly went along to his cousins. Uh, this has been ingrained in him. That, he, you know, they obey sort of thing. Another thing that's interesting is he does uh, he does magic tricks. So he has a little, you know, fake guillotine and stuff and he shows a trick at the table and then he finds a magic shop and he goes there and then he starts to rebel against his cousin because he's like, he goes into his room and he pulls down the garlic and he eats something. He's like, look, no, there's no magic. There's no magic. And takes his cross off him and that, you know, and just throws a temper tantrum, but he's getting sick of being, you know, because this guy's like, he's working him basically for no pay. And then he's telling him he's a devil and he's going to get killed. It's, uh, it's all very strange. But he's, uh, he finds someone and he goes to her house and he does all the planning and that, and we'll see that play. And then he goes in the bedroom and realizes that she's this one. She's in bed with another bloke. So he watched her husband leave the house. He plans then to go and uh, take her. He goes into the bedroom and then there's another bloke, and it's just absolute chaos. And she's, and I mean, this type of filmmaking can only happen in the seventies. They're running about. They're uh, obviously the boyfriend, the, the lover, is chasing him, but he's stuck him with the needle first. He's a big lad, so obviously his dose isn't enough to knock him out completely. But they're uh, he's rampaging around the house, and uh, he's hiding, and he's got another needle ready or something. And they're trying to ring the ring the place, but because it's landlines, and this is something maybe younger people won't get. But landlines were a thing, and you had multiple landlines in the house, and somebody could pick up and mess. You can make calls if somebody else picked up and was pressing buttons. And this whole scene plays out. It's absolute chaos. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't kill the girl this time. He takes a bloke, drags him out in the woods, and he kills him. Doesn't have to actually, you know, he uses a actually a branch to punch him and stuff. And she survives this, but it's strange because. <clears throat> obviously he's shown his face at time so uh, we don't really see how that plays out but still it's uh, just crazy we'll see that. We, he goes back to Abby again <clears throat> but this time uh, with her because she gives him a lift and all and she's asks him around to do odd jobs and that you know always when her husband's out <clears throat> so he basically goes in and says, you want me here for sex, don't you? Sort of thing. And then he ends up having an affair with her. So that kind of shows as well that he's capable <clears throat> of 
it's not really a relationship, but to him, considering what he's done before, it's a relationship. You know, he's spending time with her, he's having sex with her, they're having picnics together. She is uh, like depressed, but we see his kind of playing out. So when that happens, he kind of doesn't go out for any more because I think there's only like three. There's only three serial killing scenes in this whole thing, so there's not a lot, but they're each one's intense. If that makes sense. Then starts, um, yeah, Christine, uh, Sebastian's granddaughter, tries it on with him because uh, <clears throat> she feels sorry for him, and then she's like wanting to, you know, I don't know what would that. Um, Cousins, grand is that second cousins or third cousins? I don't know, but to be honest, you shouldn't be thinking that way any roads, you know what I mean? You shouldn't be working out how many cousins apart are we to make it okay. <laughs> That's uh I come from a country like that got it's a bit weird. Um Yeah, uh people are legit working out how many cousins apart they are to see if it's all right. But that scene sort of plays out, and she's unhappy with her grandfather, just miserable. The town, there's a scene in the church, so... Uh, Sabine, is it? No, Cuba. Sorry, Cuda, Cuda. He uh, makes Martin go to church because he has to, you know, fit in. And I'll not have a... I'll not have Nosferatu not going to church, which completely debunks the whole mythological side because... There we've seen him meeting the garlic, the cross. He's actually getting the hollow ground, you know, no bother. So we know it's not a supernatural movie, so we can put that aside quite right. God, I'm having a terrible screen. It's right, itchy nose as well. It's doing well. So we know know he's not having the best time of it. <clears throat> he know we know that he's with a crazy family. Yeah, the church is all run down. Uh there's a fire or something. It was damaged, so they're trying to fundraise, but there's no jobs about, so everyone hates this town, and they're all looking to leave. Uh, Christine then decides she's going to leave with her fiance, but she's no intention of staying with him. It's just a, she's using him to get out of town. She says as much, but then she says to Martin that she will write to him once she gets somewhere, and she doesn't. So we're seeing a time span, and that actually sets him off edge. So he was actually functioning and coping but when Christine leaves that's what sets him over the edge so he's ringing the radio station again he's like I need to do it I can't you know I, I need the blood blah 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 because uh, he's actually talking as well how he's doing the sexy stuff without the blood and he's enjoying it and uh, things were going well but then Christine leaving is what sets him off because then he's now alone with Cuda and Cuda is angry because this is not a nice man this is uh, an unpleasant person, an abusive person. And the fact that he's pushed away his own family is a fact of him, but he's no emotional. He can't deal with it, so he's lashing out at Martin. This sets him over the edge. So it sets out the next time he goes and busy just looks for a couple of homeless people. And because he's uh, jittery and on edge, he's like a, he's like a drug addict. You know, he's got the same symptoms as a drug addict, you know, getting the DTs and stuff and, you know, needing his next fix. And he goes in this whole crazy situation. So he uh, basically starts 
uh, killing these two homeless people with an iron bar, and the police get involved. No, yeah, because he breaks into a store. This stupid. You know, this is how he, uh, he used to be careful, but now he's like on hand. So he kills these two. He drinks from one, and then he just smashes the window into a clothing store to get his clothes changed. So that sets the police chasing after him. And then we get this whole mad scene where he basically breaks into a gang uh, hideout, like in a warehouse or something, and then he, initi- he basically initiates uh, a whole shootout with the police and this gang, and then all the, pl- the two police officers get killed, all the gang members get killed, and then he just sneaks off back to the you know house. Uh, that, that was actually the most insane uh, sequence in this, because it just could this actually happen, or did events fall into place? <laughs> but yeah, that, that happens. Um, he goes back to see uh, Abby and he finds her in the bathtub. So she's uh, topped herself. She can't have children, it turns out. You know, sometimes you speak to him. Her husband's distant from her. She's unhappy, even. And they're almost like kindred spirits because Martin's broken, Abby's broken. They've sort of found comfort in each other. But she obviously decided she can't go on anymore. So he. He basically goes in middle of daylight, uh, broad daylight, and finds her in the bathtub. That's uh, we don't see the fallout of that, by the way. We don't know if he called the police or what, but I'm guessing he did because he's just he's not in jail or anything. He's back at the house, and then it just carries on as if nothing's happened. And then the final scene's just um. And getting woken up, we're getting a stake driven through his heart by Kuda. Kuda's like, I knew you killed Abby. Abby, uh, you couldn't resist your urges, Nosferatu. And then, and it just, it was one of them shocking scenes that just came out of nowhere. Because uh, you weren't expecting it, even though uh, it was happening. You had a, oh, you had an exorcist scene as well, and this is. Uh, but really was nothing. It was a bored priest just sort of intoning the words and Martin just walks out and leaves. So they almost redid... They actually, this is 1977, it's around about the same time, but they, they try to do an exorcism on him and he, Martin just gets up and walks away from them and Kuda tries to hit him and the priest just mumbles on, you know, and you're like, okay, yeah. So you know it's not, nothing to do that, but the the fact that Kuda ends up just killing him, ironically, for something he didn't do. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a. It's worth a watch. I'll put it like this: it's aged. Yeah, um, that was one of the earlier stories: addiction, sex. Uh, you know. Mon- you know, Monsters Craven being cursed. Uh, yeah, vampires were. It's always been um, a good, because to be honest, I always wonder if people say they want to be vampires. Because, yeah, you might have you know, this, some of the spooky supernatural stuff, but you have so many limitations. Can't go out in daylight, you can't eat normal food, blah, blah. And that's, that's the thing, uh, I know you've heard me on this channel, those stories were told for a reason. The, the, uh, the archetypes were there and the rules were in place. But because modern culture can't make up any new stories, they're 
they're taking like like the vampire they've <clears throat> molded and shaped and shifted the vampire so it's not the vampire anymore they've done it with the werewolf the zombie you know and this homogenous monster and they're horrible the, the story of the vampire is a tale of warning the story of the werewolf is a tale of warning um check out our morality and horror discussion uh we went through all this they're they're tales told for a reason and even if you're not religious they're still good they're good fables they're a good way to explain the chaos of the universe that's what tales and stories are and horror has the best uh it's done for the best reason it's to keep you safe it's the warning and it's to provoke thought and to provoke you uh thinking about directions so that we don't go crazy as in society that we need a society where so many of us but don't want to go back to living in caves beating each other over the head of rocks grubbing from day to day that's not the whole point of being civilized whole point of being civilized is that we, we can function together and not be going to war every two minutes and that's uh that's where these tales have served a purpose to you know try and bring bring society to order to use this is what can happen and yeah with you can debate the theological aspect all you want i have no interest you know i can take a story i can take the meaning of it without having to look up to the sky if that makes sense you don't do that stuff uh these stories are still useful but this is actually a really good story this is a good thought piece if you go th- if you watch this and you go through it uh this is about how can you damage someone beyond repair and where did it start and at what point do you myths and fables and religion you know where do you draw the line and that's the whole sort of underpinning theme of this story is where do you draw the line with that sort of thing and where is it useful like I said, um, horror stories are useful. Scary stories are useful. They're useful for survival. They're useful for orientating your own personal moral compass that you don't become a raven lunatic and a dangerous society that you learn to fit in. But where does that line get crossed where these stories become damaging and can do harm to people? And this is another debate we've had about what age is horror appropriate or what intensity of horror should people be exposed to at certain stages of their life? We know they're completely mollycoddling and shielding people from the badness of the world and the fact that it exists is not a good thing. Look at today's society. We're seeing a lot of broken people in the world and they're doing a lot of damage and there's a lot of harm being done. And that's from going way too far, the pendulum swinging way too far. And I don't think it's, I don't think there's a fixed point for the pendulum. Like this story, you couldn't remake this story today. It wouldn't have the same weight. It wouldn't be done the same way. It wouldn't have the same impact. So yeah, the spatial effects and that are like dated. They're dated for the time. But this is still a good watchable story. If you take from it what it's trying to impart, if you're not looking at like. This is one where it's a bit beyond 
it's not a slasher movie. It's not just a thriller. There's it's a thought piece. So you gotta you gotta go on with that expectation. Um, George A. Romero, like you know, I mean, he's amazing storyteller, and he's amazing at putting things on the screen. Uh, especially for his time, like this would have been groundbreaking. You know, just disturbing to people. But there you go. Um, I like I like movies like this. Not again. I know of uh, you know me, and I've watched a lot of cheesy stuff, and I have a lot of fun. But movies, I guess, are good because it's good to think, and it's good to look at the horror of humanity and see the elements that led down the path. And I think the I think the sad part of this movie is there was a chance of redemption. There was a possibility of redemption dangled towards Martin, and it didn't happen. Events overtook him. Um, should he have been caught? Yes. He was, you know, I mean, in the end, he was preying on the innocent, so he he should have definitely been caught. It definitely had to go for a resolution. There's no happy ever after with this movie. If that makes sense. Because it couldn't be. He's done what he's done. And the victims didn't deserve it. But the the shocking way that it did finish off, then that brings more questions. Is there more retribution to come? You know, and you don't need a sequel to this freaking, you know. This is the problem today. They would do this and then they would do a shitty sequel and they would make a franchise out of it and it would just be ridiculous. Uh, it's like let the right one in. That's a, another, uh, because I see DLR in chat, and that's one we covered, and that's a disturbing, you know, gripping movie. But then they made a TV show of it, and it was sanitized to hell, and it was horrendous. So I would say, yeah, this is a good one to watch. It's a movie of its time. Just be aware of that. Definitely give it a check out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they're useful how to conduct yourself in life because we, you know, we'll have to function in society, you know, like it or not. I can say I hate people and stuff, but at the same time, no man's an island. That's a some British thing, you know, where we all need each other or else we're just grubbing in the dirt. And who wants that? But there you go. That was a, that was a thoughtful one. Hope you enjoyed the review. And yeah, definitely check it out. I will be going on Evil Life's channel in a couple of hours and we're going to be playing The Goonies, uh, Never Say Die. It's a board game, so uh, that'll be a lot of fun. So uh, if you can... I'll post will be popping up soon, so check it out there. Just easy to say, keep up to the channel, do the type of clicky things. And until next time, keep it creepy, keep it horrific.